It is definitely good to see you all this morning. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Welcome to Community Church. And the first thing I feel like I need to ask this morning is how good is our God? I mean, how good is our God? Um, And only our second week meeting together as a church. This is just our second Sunday together. He has blessed us with this amazing facility. If you hadn't had a chance to look around and see what's available to us, uh, get with me after the service and I'd love to show you around and see um, what God has done. It, It truly is amazing. We're right here in the heart of Union. There's plenty of space to grow as a church. Um... This space here is going to allow us to maximize our financial resources for ministry instead of things like overhead and you know rent and things like that. So just an amazing thing that the Lord has done. Truly, His mercies are new every morning, as the Word says, and His love for us truly is unending and everlasting. And I mean, what more could we ask for from our Savior who loves us and provides for us like that? It truly is a blessing. So our God is good. Well, this morning, we're going to be continuing our study through the book of First John. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to chapter four in the book of First John, and we're going to pick up our study right there. But some of you may remember that John left off last time in chapter three by giving us two indicators that we can use to know whether or not we are actually abiding in Christ. He gave us an external indicator which is that we keep his commandments, okay? In other words, if we are living for Christ, then we can have assurance that Christ is living in us. And another indicator that John gave us was an internal indicator. He said, we can know that Christ abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So there is a sense in which only you and God can truly know if you're in Christ. But if you are, then your actions will actually reveal that to the world around you, and the Spirit of God will reveal it to your soul. So the fruit of our life will be the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, okay? And this will in turn give us assurance that we, in fact, belong to the Lord Jesus Christ because it is His Spirit that is working in us and through us for our good and for His glory. So now in chapter 4, John wants to make sure that we understand that as Christians, as believers, that we also engage our brains before we employ our beliefs. And what I mean is this. I mean, John is telling believers to use discernment. Okay, be smart as believers in Christ because there is actually more than one spirit out in the world. So be careful and test those spirits to see whether or not they are actually of God. And John's going to show us just how to do that in the first six verses of this chapter. And then he's going to spend the rest of the chapter talking about a fantastic subject. He's going to be talking about love. And it's in these passages that we're going to get to see the essence, the very essence of who our God is. Okay, John's going to describe our God by one of his primary attributes in three of the most beautiful words that you're ever going to read in scriptures. John says, God is love. God is love. And if we can just begin to get our mind around that, just that, then everything from our lives and our faith, our relationships, our theology, okay, all of it will flow from this very important understanding of who God is, what he's done. Okay, God is love, therefore God demonstrated His love. 
God is love, therefore, as an image bearer of God. You need to understand that you are loved. You are loved by God. Let's pray again real quick, and then we'll get into our text. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for this beautiful morning that you've given to us to worship, to give you thanks, to praise you, to lift up our hearts to you, the God who is worthy. And now as we enter into a time around your word, I pray that you would help us to understand it, to receive what you have for us this morning, Lord, so that we can apply it to our life, our lives and become more like Christ. And uh, so, Lord, would you please have your way? If there's anything that I say that's, that's wrong or out of line, Lord, please strike that from our memory very quickly. Help us to only hear from you and the truth that we read in your word this morning. We ask it in faith and we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, so 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which, uh, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does uh, not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. Verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And then verse 21, and this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Amen. What a chapter of scripture. The result of a real relationship with the God who loves us will be 
that we love each other, right? But again, John not only instructs God's children to be loving here, he also again tells us to be smart. Look back at verse 1, and we'll go through this chapter verse by verse. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So I remember someone told me one time, they said, you know what? I don't believe anything I hear, and I only believe half of what I see, right? And I don't know about you. I can kind of relate to that, okay? Because there's just a ton of false information out there in the world today that really makes it hard to know what we should believe. But I think here John is breaking it down for us to the basis of all of the lies and all of the misinformation and all of the confusion that's out there in the world today. He's saying, guys, here's the deal. This is a spiritual issue. Okay, the reason that there's so much misinformation and lies out there is because there are other spirits out there who are behind all of these lies and this false information. Remember, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and hear this, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. In the heavenly places. So that's right. John is saying, look, don't be gullible, believer. Okay? Don't blindly buy the lies of these false prophets that are out there. In fact, we need to put them to the test, don't we? They need to be the ones that feel the heat. They're the ones that need to be put to the test, not us. Okay? As believers, we already know where we stand with God. We know that we're filthy sinners, okay? We know that we could never stand in the presence of God on our own until we were washed in the cleansing blood of Christ, our Savior. And so therein lies the difference. And here's the test. What do you believe about Jesus? That's the test right there. John says this is how you can tell the Spirit of God from the spirit of a false prophet. What do you believe about Jesus? Look at verse 2. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Okay, so now I want, I want you to notice two very important things here. Thank you. And the first one is this. John said that you can tell that it's the Spirit of God if they confess. That's important. Okay, because it's one thing to acknowledge Christ, but it's another thing entirely to confess him. Okay, even the demons believe and tremble, James said over in James chapter 2, verse 19. But knowing Christ is so much more than just a mental assent. Okay, it's more than just merely acknowledging his existence. Look, I mean, if we're honest, nobody can actually deny that. If we're honest, Jesus Christ did walk on this earth some 2,000 years ago. That's a fact. Okay, he died on the cross and then he rose from the grave. Again, these are all historical facts from the Bible and other extra biblical accounts. Okay, and any rational thinking person, I think they just can't refute them. Christ was here. He did what he said he was going to do. People saw him. They touched him. They heard him teach. Before and after his resurrection, by the way, okay? And many, in fact, followed him. Remember the very first chapter of this letter. John lays all of this out for us. So the question is not, did Jesus Christ exist? The question is not, did Jesus Christ die on a cross? 
The question is not, did he rise from the dead? I mean, we have eyewitness accounts that tell us that he did. All of that is true. So the question now for us becomes this. Will I confess him as Lord? What will I do with all of these facts, all of these truths about Jesus that set him apart from every other person in history? Will I confess him as Lord or will I continue to believe the lies? Now, the second thing that I want you to notice here in verse 2 is that John actually proclaimed the deity of Christ here in the flesh. Okay, the spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, John said, is of God. Now, again, this is not a mere acknowledgement. This is a confession that Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of God in the flesh. Now, you'll remember early on in our study of 1 John that I mentioned that the primary false teachers of John's day came from one of two camps. Okay, now the majority of them, the majority of these false teachers were called Gnostics. And they believed that all matter is evil. Okay, and flesh, of course, is matter, so therefore flesh is evil. And he, you know, Jesus could not be God because if he had flesh on, that would have made him evil. So that was how they rationalized their thinking. So they said Jesus could not be God in the flesh because all matter is evil. The other sect of false teachers during John's day were called docetists. Okay, and they believed that Christ only seemed to appear in the flesh. He didn't really come in the flesh. It just seemed that way. So you can see that the early church's battle was primarily against bad philosophy that denied the reality all around them. I mean, some of them, they could get on board with the idea that Jesus was somehow God. Okay, but they couldn't get their mind around how God could come in the flesh. That kind of blew their mind. They didn't understand how Jesus, if he were in fact God, could also be a real man. And so that got me to thinking... Isn't it interesting how time has actually inverted the philosophy of false teachers? Think about that. What I mean is, the further we get away from the time of Christ, what people are willing to accept about Christ has changed. For example, look at the Jehovah's Witnesses. Look at the Mormons. Look at the Muslims. All of them accept the humanity of Jesus. None of them deny that Jesus came in the flesh. The very thing that the Gnostics and the Docetists of John's day refuted. Okay, however, these modern day false religions, they all reject the deity of Christ. Very interesting. But as Bible-believing Christians, okay, we understand that both the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ are absolutely essential to our salvation. Okay, both are essential. He had to be God or he could not have been the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Okay, Jesus, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, according to John 1.29. And of course, he had to be man or he could not have paid the price for our sin. Jesus Christ, the rejected, betrayed Son of Man, according to Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23. So the question, again, for us today is the same as it was for them back in John's day. Okay, and it's the very same question that Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, 15, when he said this, Who do you say that I am? I mean, that's the great question of the ages, isn't it? Who do you say that I am? Of course, Peter answered correctly, and he said, You are the Christ, 
the son of the living God? And he answered correctly. So now the ball's in our court, right? How are we going to answer that question? What will we do with Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now remember, John has already mentioned these Antichrists here all the way back in chapter 2, verse 18. But here we see the spiritual nature of our battle against the enemies of God. Okay, because there's a prevailing spirit among those who oppose God. And it all has to do with Jesus. It all has to do with him. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, he says, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name. And they will say, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. So you see, the spirit of the Antichrist not only denies the true deity and humanity of Jesus, it also offers up a false Jesus as a substitute. Okay, so be careful, be smart. Pastor David Guzik said, The devil doesn't care at all if you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, or if you pray to Jesus, as long as it's a false Jesus, a make-believe Jesus, a Jesus who's not there, a Jesus who therefore cannot save. Amen. So the best way that you can tell that you're actually believing in the right Jesus is to test the spirits. Test these false teachers, okay, as to what they really believe about the deity and the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Holy Spirit of God will never, ever contradict the Word of God. He will always glorify Jesus as God. Verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, this right here is one of the most popular passages in all of the Bible. And for good reason, too. Okay, because here we see the strength of every believer to fight this spiritual battle. We see exactly how we're able to discern and overcome the false teaching of the enemy. And it's through the Holy Spirit of God. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. So here's the deal. This morning, I hope that you know that Christ is greater. The Lord Jesus Christ is greater. I want you to know that whatever it is you are struggling with, maybe you have been struggling with, whatever, Christ is greater, okay? Are you struggling with anger? Christ is greater than your anger. Are you struggling with depression? Christ is greater. Are you struggling in your marriage? The Lord Jesus Christ is greater. Are you struggling with your finances or maybe you have fear for the future? Whatever it is, my friend, Christ is greater. Listen, are you struggling with faith to even believe? I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is greater. Jesus said this in John 16, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Praise the Lord. My friend, if you are in Christ and he is in you, then you can have peace this morning. Even in the midst of your trouble, you can be cheerful because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse 5, they are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. That's right. So who are we listening to? 
the Spirit of God inside us who glorifies Jesus, who guards our heart and then guides our life? Or are we listening to the false prophets of the Antichrist, who, by the way, can only offer you a poor substitute for the real thing? You know, you can learn a lot about a person by who they're listening to. Who are you listening to? Believer, you do not have to sit in the echo chamber of the world okay, and be spoon-fed one lie after another. You don't have to hear that. You're smarter than that. Turn that noise off. Don't fall for these false narratives of those who just sit around and believe their own lies. You don't have to let that garbage into your ears, okay? Get in the book. Get in the Bible, become a student of God's Word, and start listening to the eternal Word of God. Verse 6, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Exactly right. Okay, John says the person who truly knows God will hear the words of Scripture. The very words that John and all these other apostles were beginning to spread all throughout the world at this time. Okay, that's the us in this verse right here. John was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and with apostolic authority here. Therefore, as believers and followers of Christ, then we can compare the word of God to the words of the world. Compare them and then safely determine truth from error. Remember, Jesus said this in John 10, 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And how did John refer to Jesus in the very first verse of this letter? Do you remember that? He referred to Jesus as the word of life, the word of life. Guys, the Bible is the word of God, okay? And the Bible is all about Jesus, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, and Jesus is the word of life. He was already there in the, be in the beginning, and his word is going to endure until the end. Okay, so Jesus Christ alone is the answer to every single one of your questions. He alone has the final authority over every spirit in the cosmos. Every one of them. So do you hear what He is saying? Do you hear Jesus this morning? Will you hear Him? Who are you listening to? Again, we need to turn off the noise of this world and tune our ear into the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So here we see the commandment to love one another, because love is of God. And we see that our love for one another is actually evidence that we are of God, don't we? But then in verse 8, John gives us an amazing look into the character and the essence of who our God is. He says, God is love. In other words, love is the nature of God. Think about that. I mean, if someone were to describe you or if someone were to describe me, you know, they might, they might say something like, well, he's funny or she's kind or, you know, they're loving or something like that, right? But God is not only loving, He is love. He is love. He is the perfect embodiment of it, if you will. Okay, He is the source of all true love that's ever existed in the history of the world. Three words, God is love. I want you to listen to how Bible commentator G.S. Barrett describes these three words. 
It's an amazing quote. He writes this. He says, These are the greatest words ever spoken in human speech. The greatest words in the whole Bible. It is impossible to suggest in briefest outline all that these words contain. For no human and no created intellect has ever or will ever fathom their unfathomable meaning. But we may reverently say that this one sentence concerning God contains all the key to all God's works and ways. The mystery of creation, redemption, and the being of God himself. Amen. Well said, brother. Why did God create the world? Because he is love. Why did God provide redemption for the entire world? Because he is love. You see, when you start with a right understanding of who God is, then it puts into perspective everything that God does. Okay? God is love, therefore all that he does is loving. You know, I read that Charles Spurgeon preached five entire sermons on just these three words. God is love. I don't personally think I could ever do that, honestly, but I also believe that I would probably run out of time before I ran out of ways to describe the beauty and the truth contained in just those three words. God is love. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. So here we see the love of God manifested in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that this love was manifested somewhere toward us, right? Please hear this. Not only is God love, but God loves you. God loves you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you. Christ was sent by the Father into the world that we might live through him. And by the way, this is a great verse to consider during the Christmas season that we're in as well. Because as we celebrate the first advent of our Savior, we remember that God sent his Son. And this is important. I like how Tim Keller describes it. He says, The birth of the Son of God into the world is a gospel. It's good news. It's an announcement. You don't save yourself. Therefore, God has come to save you. Amen. And not only that, Christ was sent that we might live through him. Right? You see, you were never meant to walk alone in this world. You were never meant to walk alone through this world. God's love for you was made known in Christ so that you might live through him. Christ is your advocate with the Father. Remember chapter 2, verse 1? We talked about that. Now, much more could be said here, obviously, especially in regard to a doctrine called eternal sonship that we see in this passage here. Uh, But for the sake of time, I just want to sum this verse up by saying this. God made the first move. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his son. Okay, the first sacrifice of the father in an effort to prove his love to you and me and enjoy a relationship with us in this life was in sending his son. And then in verse 10, we see the sacrifice of his son. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So you see, God is the initiator in this love relationship. Okay, He initiates and we respond. 
He shows us what love is by sending his son and sacrificing him for our sins so that we might be saved. I don't want you to miss the awe and the wonder that we have here in this passage. It's, it's beautiful and it's deep. But I do like what Spurgeon said here. He said, if there was to be reconciliation between God and man, man ought to have sent to God. The offender ought to be the first to apply for forgiveness. The weaker should apply to the greater for help. Right? Yeah, exactly. But God took the first step toward us in order to prove his love for us. Christ was not sent to only be our example. He was sent to be our sacrifice. And it's really very simple, at least from our perspective it is. Okay, because we have done nothing. You and I, we have accomplished nothing at all. He even provided the satisfaction, the propitiation for our sin. God has accomplished everything in Christ Jesus. James Montgomery Boyce said, God did not send his son to merely teach or to be our example, but to die the death of a felon that he might save us from sin. Amen. Our sin deserves the wrath of God. Yet Christ absorbed the holy wrath of the Father toward us, our sin on his cross. Christ was sent and Christ was sacrificed that we might be saved. Let me put it to you another way. Think about it like this. The love of God, right? We just looked at God is love. The love of God satisfied the wrath of God. Did you know that? God's love for you satisfied his wrath toward your sin in Christ. And why? Why would he do that? John tells us, so that you might live through him. God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And he has proven that by sending and sacrificing his son for you. And one of the best ways that we can thank God for all that he has done for us is found in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. If God can prove his love to such an unbearable sinner like me, then who am I to withhold my love from anyone? You see, Christians, we should be conduits of love, right? Conduits of love. The love of God should flow through us, not stop when it gets to us. Okay? I like again what Spurgeon says here as a Christian's response to God's love. He said, this love will lead to practical action. Has anybody offended you? Seek reconciliation. Oh, but I'm the offended party, we might say. So was God. And he went straight away and sought reconciliation. Brother, do the same. Oh, but I've been insulted. Just so. So was God. All the wrong was towards him, and yet he sent. Oh, but the party is so unworthy. Oh, so are you. But God loved you and sent his son. Now go write according to that copy. <laughs> Amen. I love that. Spurgeon might as well have said, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Okay, we're going to start moving faster, I promise. So stay with me. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. So John is telling us here that the way that people are going to see God and believe in him is if they see his children loving on each other. Okay, now, the word that John uses here for perfected in this uh, verse does not mean without error. That's not what that word means. It simply means to complete in the Greek. That's what it means. So in other words, 
The more we love one another and abide in his love for us, then over time the love of God will be completed in us. Okay? Therefore, the love of God will be incomplete if we don't love each other, right? God wants us to be complete in Christ. And as a body of believers without love, a body of believers who doesn't love, then they're incomplete. You know, one of the reasons I love that circle around the cross on our new logo, I hope all of you have been able to see that. If not, I, I can show you a picture of it, but it has a cross with a circle around it. And I love that because it represents the fact that we are united in Christ. We are unified in Christ. We are complete in Him, right? The sea is segmented. We're a community that is complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, this is where God's love is going to be perfected in us within the context of a loving body of Christ. Look at verses 13 and 14. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Okay, so here John gives us a little peek into the Trinity. Okay, The Christian view of God as portrayed in the Scriptures is one God represented in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, giving us internal evidence of our salvation, remember verse 13, and external evidence of our salvation through our love for one another. That's verse 12. And then in verse 14, John gives us the scope of our salvation that the Father provided through His Son. He said this, the Father has sent the Son as a Savior to some, no, the Father has sent the Son as a Savior to the world. Amen. Or to put it plainly, Jesus Christ died for you. Christ died for you. You can be sure of that based on the text of Scripture. W.E. Vine said the scope of his mission was as boundless as humanity, and only man's impenitence and unbelief put a limit to its actual effect. Amen. So if you want to be saved, you can be saved. Just do what John tells you to do in verses 15 and 16. He says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love of God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So the word whoever in verse 15 shows the inclusiveness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyone can be saved. Anyone. The word says whoever. However, only those that confess that Jesus is the Son of God will be saved. Okay? So the gospel is inclusive in the sense that whoever can come to God. Okay? But it's exclusive in the sense that you must come to God through Jesus Christ, His Son. Now we should point out that to confess Jesus, again, doesn't merely mean to acknowledge His existence. We've talked about that in the previous verses. So what does it actually mean? Well, to confess Jesus, it means to agree with what the Bible says about Him. That's what that means. It means to obey the commandment to believe on Jesus and be saved. It's not just head knowledge about God. It's a humble and contrite heart toward God. It's repentance. It's the surrendered life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To confess Jesus as the Son of God is your right response to the love of God that the Father has shown through His Son. John said, we have known and believed 
the love that God has for us. So what about you? Have you known and believed? It's the difference between heart and head knowledge. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we might have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. So here we see the reason for the completed love that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so that we can have boldness in the day of judgment and not fear. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And how can we know this? Well, John tells us that it's because as he is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. So we need some context here, don't we? The context is perfected love and boldness in the day of judgment. That's the context here. So with that in mind, think about it. How is Jesus today? John said, as he is, so are we in this world. And this is written in the context of Judgment Day. I want you to please hear this this morning. Our Lord Jesus Christ has already been judged for us. Okay? He was judged for the sins of the world that day when He was nailed to a cross. My friend, judgment for those who are in Christ is over. Okay? It's over. According to John, if Christ has passed through the judgment, then so have we. As he is, how is he? He's resurrected. He's glorified. He is righteous. He is at the right hand of the Father. John says, so are we in this world. Meaning, if we are in Christ, then we have this same standing before the Father. In other words, our position before the Father right now is the same as it is for Christ. Why? Because we are in Christ and our love is being perfected in this world in real time. However, our position before God is already secure in Christ. Let that sink in. As He is, so are we in this world. Your position, believer, in Christ is secure in Christ. Therefore, we can be bold when judgment day comes and not fear. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So the more that the love of Christ is perfected within us, then the less we will fear. Okay, those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus Christ to save them have absolutely no reason to fear torment on judgment day. You see, those who choose to live by the law, though, they have fear of judgment. However, those of us who understand grace, we realize that Christ took our torment for us. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. That's right. Guys, we would have absolutely no idea what real love actually is had God not shown it to us. And he did. And the way that he showed it to us and sending and sacrificing his son for us should spark a response for us that is loving in return. Okay? And this response of love from us because God has showed this kind of love to us should lead us to surrender our lives to Him. And then sacrifice our lives for each other. We should lay down our lives for our brother. Verse 20. If someone says, I love God, and then he hates his brother, he's a liar. <laughs> love how blunt John is sometimes. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen how can he love God whom he has not seen? So you see, love for God and love for each other, they can't be separated. They're inseparable. Okay, and as John tells us here, neither can hate. Neither can hate. So don't be fooled 
by empty words of false teachers. No, look at their actions, okay? And at the same time, don't let your actions prove your words to be empty. Actually live for Christ. Live through Christ. John says in verse 21, And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Guys, it's a command. Did you see that? Love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a command. It's a commanded action toward God and toward one another. I want you to think about this this, this morning, church, and then we'll be done. John said, in this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Can you imagine what would happen in your family? Can you imagine what would happen in your workplace? Think about this. Can you imagine what would happen in Union, Missouri if community church obeyed this command? Think about that. He who loves God must love his brother also. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time around your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us very clearly and very plainly through it. My prayer, Lord, is that you would help us to understand it, help us to take it to heart, Lord. Help us to marinate on the truth here and then accept it and receive it in a way that's going to change our life when we begin to love each other like you loved us. Help us to put these truths into practice in our life so that we can bring you the most glory, so that you'll be most glorified in this world and through this church and through our life. Lord, would you do your work in us, Lord? Help us to understand the importance of who you are. The word says God is love. And so those of us who are in Christ, those of us who claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then therefore we must be loving. That It's a command. You have commanded us to be loving, to love one another. So help us to put away our pride, to put away our selfishness, to put away our own desires for the sake of other people. To put others before ourselves to lay down our lives for one another. We understand that your word tells us that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And with such a high price that was paid for our souls, let us spend the rest of our life living in for you. We thank you for what you've done and what you are doing in our lives and in the life of this church. We want to give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.